as we come to this passage once again, we're going to read verses 1 through 14. And I know it seems that I review a lot to go back. But we're in deep water in Romans, are we not? We are. And we, the Apostle Paul has been taking his time. He's been building, he's been building, he's been building. He goes back and he builds on what he's just, just laid down. He keeps coming, keeps coming. I want us not to miss anything, but that we could glean from the Word of God what he would have for us. And I know and I understand what, that we are all at different, can I say this, stages of our sanctification? Can I say it like that? Is that okay for me to say that? Uh, that, that we are all at different maturity levels. Perhaps I could say it like that in our faith. Some of us may, may still be babes and some are, are more grown in the Lord. Some may be like the, the reed that's, that's in the water, like of the pond and, and it, it just kind of, as the wind blows, it, it, it struggles to stay on firm ground and it wavers and, and some, some may be mighty oaks that can stand firm. And, and I pray that we are all learning that the Lord is bringing us along. And I know, I know, I know that when the word of God is preached, it will not go forth void. That the Holy Spirit will minister to each one as he sees fit. The same passage, because of perhaps circumstances of life or whatever we may be facing, may speak a different message from the Lord to us. And that's great, isn't it? The Lord knows where we are and he'll speak to us. And he will bring us along and show us himself. And so we're going to read once again verses 1 through 14 to get the, the connection of the entire first half of this chapter, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version this morning, beginning in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also... Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, 
Do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of righteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word. And even now, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would take control of this service. Lord, help me to stay out of the way. Help me to be obedient. Father, keep me from error. Keep me from getting on a soapbox. But Lord, let me stay fixed upon your word. And Lord, help us all. Help us even now to fight the good fight of faith so that we might hear from you. Keep us attentive, Lord, I pray. And it's in Christ's name. Amen. I want to look at verse 1 and 2 for a moment again before we move on to verses 3 and 4. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. See, Paul Paul knew what was going on as he had been teaching there at, at, at the end of, of, of chapter 5. He knew the, the questions they were thinking. So so grace trumps sin, and so, so we'll, we'll, we'll just sin all the more, and, and then God can extend more grace. But Paul says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? How shall we... Who died to sin? Who's the we? This is born again believers. That's the we. Have died. How's that? We died. What's that talking about? Romans 6, verse 6. Give us the explanation. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Now let me pause. Who is this old man referring to? It's referring to who we all once were before saving grace came. You see, before faith came, it's referring to the spiritually dead people that we all once were in Adam. In Adam, all died. All were under the reign, Paul said, the reign of sin and death. But thanks be to God for grace. Amen? Uh, just for a moment, just put up Romans 5, verse 21, and then we'll come back. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness through eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank the Lord for grace. Now, let's go back. Let's go back. You see, the, the, the born again has gone from being in union with Adam to being in union with Christ. We've talked about this over probably the last several weeks. And, and, and this is the whole point that Paul is trying to hammer home to us, that we might know who we are in Christ, that we might know that the old man, the old me, is no longer. That lost, spiritual, dead person is gone, is dead, is no more. Jim brought out the, the, the passage, and I'll probably be reading it in this 
his sermon uh, today. Yeah, it's coming up in just a little bit that we're a new creation. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. The old man, the old enemy of God, that's who we all once were, was crucified with Christ. What passage do I go to for that? We've read it again over probably the last few weeks, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Do we get that? Do we get what it's saying? I have been crucified with Christ. I have died with Christ. I am, I am in Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave Himself for me. And, and let's put the, the new creation verse up in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. See, the old man died, but we have become a new creation. New creation. We're not the old man that's just been modified a little bit. No, the old man died. We're a new creation. Something that never was before. Do we get that? Yes, I'm still in this old, same old fleshly body, but I have been created new spiritually. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The old man died with Christ. We were raised to newness of life, a new creation. And let us remember, the old man, the one who was in union with Adam, could not discern spiritual things. Remember us talking about that. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. But the natural man, this is the old man, this is the dead spiritual man, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You see, in our old state, we could not discern spiritual things. We were spiritually dead. Our father was who? The devil. We were darkness. We were not just in darkness, but Scripture says we were darkness. In Romans 5, 8, just for a minute, just that first part of Romans 5, or Ephesians, I'm sorry, Ephesians 5, 8. For you were once darkness. In Christ, though, we were changed. We were moved from the reign and realm of sin and death into the reign and realm of grace and life. From death and darkness to light and life. And and there's a passage in Matthew 4. This is right after Jesus came down from the mount, after being tempted by the devil. And it says here, in regard to the beginning of, of Christ's ministry, and, and this is actually quoting Isaiah 9, 2, uh, put Matthew 4, verses 16 and 17. And again, uh, you, you can go to 
and you can see this and put it in your side note if you don't already have it there that this is actually quoting Isaiah 9-2. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. You get the magnitude of that. This is, this is from Isaiah, some 600 years before Christ. See, this was all us, every one of us, sitting in darkness under the rule and reign of sin and death, but then light dawned. The light of Christ dawned. Light shone into darkness. Verse 17 says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Translated from darkness to light. Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood the forgiveness of sins. In 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. That's a picture of us, isn't it? Now, I want to go back to that question in Romans 6, 2. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Here's the answer. Are you ready? We can't. We can't. Listen. Just as it was an impossibility for the old man to discern spiritual things, it is also an impossibility for the new man, the truly born again, the one who is now under the reign of grace, to return to the realm of sin and death, to live in it, to make it their continued dwelling place. It's an impossibility. I'm just going to ask, do you believe that? There should be a wholehearted Yes, there. Because with it, this is what Paul is trying to hammer home. And to, and to have this, will that have an effect on our life and our living? Yes. I've read John 10 several times. I read it very often. But, but let's read it again. Verses 27 through 29. Jesus said, My sheep, and if we're His sheep, what does that mean? We're, we're His. We're born again. We're in Christ. He is the great shepherd. We're the, the sheep of His flock. That means we're in Christ. This is talking about born again believers. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. What's a born again believer? A follower of Christ. They follow Him. And what's, it, what's Jesus say? And I give them what? Eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father 
who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Is there security and assurance for the believer in, in a statement such as this from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Oh, there should be. There should be. In Christ, we are in a new realm. In Christ, we are no longer slaves to sin. Sin is no longer our slave master. Uh, Romans 6, verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. I've talked about this before, but I think it needs to at least get a brief mention even now. Being freed from the mastery or enslavement or dominion of sin is not the same as sinless perfection. Understand that. And I believe Paul makes this very clear in what he said in our reading today when we read in in chapter 6, verses 11 through 13. Go ahead and put those up and just, just look at this. If... Let me just ask this question before we read it. Or just make this statement. If being in Christ made it where we cannot sin and the Christian is in a state of sinless perfection, why would Paul say this? Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. Why would he say a statement like that? If we were in sinless perfection. We, we wouldn't even have to think about it if we were in that state. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, here's another one, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. That you should obey it. In its lust. And do not present yourself, present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. If we were in a state of sinless perfection, why would Paul say these things? But we are not, child of God, in a state of sinless perfection while yet on this earth. Someday we will be, but not here. We're in an ongoing battle with sin in our Christian walk. Even though we have died to sin and therefore cannot, remember we talked about, we cannot live in it, we cannot continue in it, we cannot make it our continual dwelling place, we cannot keep on living like the old man we once were, because if we do, if all we do is practice sin and there is no change, there is no new creation, then what's that mean? Just lay it out there. What's it mean? You you weren't saved. There will be a change. There has to be a change. Will it happen all at once? Some things, yes. Some things will take time. I believe I can say that. As I say, sometimes habits die hard but as a new creation we have the holy spirit we do we we overcome those things not in our own strength but in the strength that he supplies and according to the truth of god's word and the power of the holy spirit amen that he brings us along 
from the milk of the word to meat. <laughs> and in Romans, we're in meat, are we not? Even though we have died to sin and therefore cannot live in it or continue in it, we can sin and we still do sin. Now, I'm not sure if I read this from James Boyce before. Maybe I did. I want to read it again. This is what James Boyce said. And James Boyce is one of those, if you've not read him, anytime I mention names of people I have read, I'm not giving them a 100% seal of approval. I hope you know that. But he is one who wrote a series of books, The Doctrines of Grace, and was one of those that gave me my first introduction into some solid ground in understanding the doctrines of grace. And here's what James Boyce said. Quote, God will not stop you from sinning, but He will stop you from continuing in it. And we'll let that soak for just a moment. Did you get that? God will not stop you from sinning, but He will stop you from continuing in it. And I think that's a good statement. And he goes on to say this, and He will do it in one of two ways. Either He will make your life so miserable that you will curse the day you got into sin and beg God to get you out of it. Does that sound like the prodigal? Or, see what you think of this, God may put an end to your life. Ananias, Sapphires, you know, in, in Acts 5, they lied and they died. God just took them out. What, what about, and we're not going to go to it and read it, you can just kind of put you, put you a note there in 1 Corinthians 11.30, uh, those who are dishonoring the Lord's Supper. Paul said many have fallen asleep. In, in other words, that was meaning they died because they dishonored the Lord's Supper. So for the child of God to stumble back or to be tempted back into sin and some of the habits of the old man can be a very dangerous thing. As believers, we must lay hold of who we are in Christ and of what has happened to us in our union with Christ and confirm it in our daily living. Reckon ourselves dead to sin. Jim brought this all out in, in the devotion this morning. Not letting sin reign in our mortal bodies and of not permitting or presenting our members to sin, the members of our body to sin. How shall we who died to sin live in it any longer? We can't. And if we can, then that gives an indication, I believe, that we were never saved, truly saved to begin with. Perhaps the seed fell on, on the stony ground. Perhaps we flourished up for a little bit, looked like we were on fire for the Lord, and then boom, gone, withered and died. But I know what the Word says. They went out from us because they were not what? Of us. Not truly born again. See, in our new position in Christ, our new identity in Christ, within the reign and realm of grace, we are completely and finally dead to sin, dead to both its rule, its condemnation, and penalty. 
And for the true born-again believer, listen, this is a decisive, unchangeable, irrevocable act of God. Do you believe that? So that's what Paul is talking about here. We, those who are truly saved cannot go back into that realm. Yes, we can still sin, but we will not go back under the, the, the reign of sin and death. That is not us anymore. The same way when we were in that state, we could not discern spiritual things. If you are born again, truly born again, God has created a union between you and Christ and this union is unshakable and certain. Philippians 1.6, you know this verse. Being confident of this very thing that He, the Lord, who has begun a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. you believe that? Yes. Who began the good work? Did we? We woke up and said, well, I think I'm just going to become a believer today and start believing the Bible and start following Him. No, we didn't start it, not, not by works that we have done, nothing of ourselves, but by His grace and by His mercy, He began a good work in us. Do you have confidence in the saving, keeping power of God? I pray you do. I pray you do. Because it will give you great assurance of faith in your daily walk until your work on earth is completed. Now let's get back to Romans 6. Jim reminded me of this this morning when we were uh, here early. Last Sunday, after the sermon, I made the comment that when you come across the word baptize in Scripture, it is not always referring to water baptism. So I Gave that to you last Sunday so you could marinate on that for a little bit. And to see what perhaps you came up with in the midst of that. And so, let's. I, I made that statement because I knew, I believe we were going to get to verses 3 and 4 today. And we have, let's put up verses 3 and 4 one more time. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now, is this baptism referring to water baptism? I'm going to say no. And there will be many who will disagree with me when I say that. There, there are many within the professing Christian church who would take offense to me saying that this is not referring to water baptism. And, and there is two camps in the midst of this, and perhaps three. One is that Paul is telling the Romans to remember their water baptism. To remember what that, that it was a picture of identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, that he was saying, remember that. And I can somewhat see that. I would not be dogmatic whatsoever in saying, no, that's not right. Because there's some wonderful men of God who believe that very thing. I think uh, John 
uh, MacArthur is one of those, I think, and and uh, and so I I can I can see that, I can see that. But there are others who would wholeheartedly agree or disagree because they believe they believe the sacrament of baptism is the instrument of our union with Christ. You understand what I'm saying? It's the cause. That baptism is the cause. It's not just a picture. It's not just a symbol. But baptism is the cause of our union with Christ. They believe that it is the act of being baptized that places you in union with Christ. And I would say, as Paul has said, certainly not. Okay? Certainly not. Water baptism is not the instrument of our union with Christ, but rather it is a symbol, a representation of our union with Christ, a picture of our being united and identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they, in turn, would be quick to say to me and to point out to me, but but preacher, you're, you're not taking the, the text at its word. It says we were buried with Him through baptism. They, they would say, it is not a symbol of your union with Christ, but rather it is the very instrument that unites us to Christ. And for me, it boggles my mind that someone would disregard the whole of the teaching of Paul up to this point and the letter of Paul and would disregard so much of the other teaching of the Word of God that's found all within the Word of God, that they would hang their belief on this false doctrine. And that's what it is. What had Paul just said in chapter 5? Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by... By what? Faith. Not baptism. Not faith and baptism having been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God what brings our justification and union with Christ faith faith by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. It does not say that we have been justified by faith and baptism, by faith alone. Now, I'm going to do this, and I, and I prayed whether to or not, but you may have family, you may have friends who are in a, I don't know if I can call it a denomination, call it what you will, a religion that believes this very thing. And though they may not, as many people, they don't really know what they believe. They're just in a building with other people and just putting in their time and they go home. You ask them what they believe, they have no idea. And so I know there's a lot of people that's in this religion that fall into that category. But who believes this? 
Well, who believes in baptismal regeneration? Roman Catholics, for one. And and the reason I'm going to say this, just in case someone who's a Catholic hears this sermon or gets wind of this sermon, boy, you ought to hear what preacher said about you. And if they should say, no, we don't believe that. I don't know where he's getting that. I want to read. I want to read from the Roman Catholic Catechism under Article 1, the Sacrament of Baptism, heading 1213. So, I'm reading what they go by. Quote, Holy Baptism is the basis of the whole Christian life, the gateway to life in the Spirit, and the door which gives access to the other sacraments. Through baptism, we are freed from sin and reborn as sons of God. We become members of Christ, are incorporated into the church, and made sharers of her mission. Baptism is the sacrament of regeneration through water, in the Word. Did you get that? Through baptism, they are freed from sin and reborn as sons of God. That's why, you hear me say so often, we have to define our terms, don't we? Because I could be witnessing to someone who is perhaps a a Catholic and ask them, well, have you been born again? And they could say in all honesty from what they believe, yes. Yes, 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 I'm born again. I've I've been born again. And and they say they are born again solely upon the fact that they have been baptized. And in many cases, that baptism happened in their infancy. And through that infant baptism, a baptismal regeneration occurred, and they were born again as a week-old baby. How could they believe such a thing, you may ask? That's what I asked. Well, here, let me bring out why they believe this way. I hope you can stay with me here because I think this is important so that we might be able to witness to someone having a bit of an idea of where they're coming from that we may take the true Word of God and show them otherwise. Are are we not to point out error? Oh, we don't want to offend anybody. As I've said before, the gospel of Jesus Christ is an offense. And if it's not an offense, it's not the gospel. It's as simple as that. It's an offense to sin. It is. It is. Here, I want to read again from the Catechism. Uh, This is under heading 1238. Listen. The baptismal water is consecrated by a prayer of epiclesis. The church asks God that through His Son, the power of the Holy Spirit may be sent upon the water so that those who will be baptized in it may be born of water and of the Spirit. What happens? They go through the the sign of the cross. They pray a prayer. This prayer of epiclesis, or how you pronounce that, and what, what does that do? That makes the baptismal water a cleansing pool. 
cleansing unto cleansing of sin and making someone regenerate, born again. Is that true? Is that found anywhere in the Word of God? Of course not. It's the very same premise as the priest's prayer of transubstantiation whereby the elements of communion, the Eucharist, the bread and the the wine, change into the actual body and blood of Christ. It re... This is in there... I'm going to read it. Just say, it represents the sacrifice of the cross. And you will notice, or you will now, that I am very careful when we have communion service that I try never to say, as the communion table is here, this represents the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. The body and the blood of Christ. This represents that. I try to be careful not to say that particular word because listen to this. Listen to this. Uh, Under heading 1366 in their catechism, the Eucharist is thus a sacrifice because it re-presents, makes present the sacrifice of the cross. What are they saying? See, this, this is what I'm getting out of it. They're putting Christ back on the cross. They're representing the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, but He died once for sin, never to die again. Amen? You don't represent Him again to the cross. Even in our reading today, just dismantles such a thought in Romans 6, verses 9 and 10. Knowing that Christ, that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. And I, I want to read just one more thing. And, and forgive me if I shouldn't even be reading this stuff, but I, I've got family that are in this. In regard to the prayer of transubstantiation under the heading 1376. Here's how it reads. The Council of Trent summarizes the Catholic faith by declaring, because Christ our Redeemer said that it was truly His body that He was offering under the species of bread, it has always been the conviction of the church of God, and this holy council now declares again that by the consecration of the bread and wine, there takes, a, takes place a change of the whole substance of the bread into the substance of the body of Christ our Lord, and of the whole substance of the wine into the substance of His blood. This change the Holy Catholic Church has fittingly and properly called transubstantiation. It's the same premise as the water. You see that. Through this prayer by the priest before the communion table and the Eucharist, it becomes the actual blood and body of Christ. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. They believe come and partake of the dispenser of grace. 
and your sins are washed away. They come to Mass. They go through communion. They walk out the door. They sin. Perhaps the moment they walk out the door, then what are they going to do? They've got to wait till another opportunity to come back to be cleansed again by the Eucharist. I'm done. I'm done with that. And, and I wanted to say that because you probably know people that are in this. And I don't say that so that you could get into some theological debate with them, but I tell you that so that you could have compassion and love them and share with them the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And I would say that of all this, of all this study as we're going through the Romans, we're going to pick up some knowledge. I hope we do. And don't take the knowledge that we're gaining here and use it as a weapon. But use it in grace. Speak the truth in love. Okay? Let's go back to Romans 6. Verses 3 and 4 one more time. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death, therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So what is this baptism, or what is this being baptized? And I thought it would be helpful <laughs> to give you a history lesson at this point. To go back in time, what did the words mean back in the day? That's good to do, is it not? It is. It is. There's two words very closely related that, that uh, the Greek language used, and they do not necessarily mean the same thing. One is the word bapto, and it means to dip or immerse. I don't guess I put it in there, but, but the word bapto was used I do remember one of them was Jesus was at the table and he dipped the bread. Remember? Dipped. Bapto. Uh, the other one I, I, I remember, uh, the, the rich man in Hades sent Lazarus that he may dip his finger in cool water and cool my tongue. Bapto. Okay? It was, in, in, I think there's three instances of a, I don't recall the third one offhand, but it, it was a, it was like a momentary thing. Okay? Now the other word you've heard, you've heard baptizo, which also, and, and bapto can mean immerse, and baptismo uh, also mean immerse, but may also have a deeper, a more metaphorical meaning. It, it is said of the Greek language, if you have the shorter version of the word, it is probably an, an explanation that is very simple. If it is a, the word that has been added on to, it's probably going to have a deeper meaning. And, and I found that, again, I'm no Greek scholar, but from what I've seen, I believe that to true. In Greek literature, baptizo is always linked to a change having taken place by some means. A change taking place by some means. And so here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a, a, a lesson in making pickles from 200 B.C. Okay? Now listen. See, now, now you're probably listening, aren't you? You want to know how to make pickles. Okay. Be because this word was used 
to talk of, you know, and talking of, of making a change. Josephus used it uh, in talking about the change that happened in Jerusalem as the crowd rushed in and and it and it wrecked the city. It baptized the city. It made a change in the city. The crowds that, that rushed in. It, it was also used in regard to the dyeing of cloth. Uh, the cloth was immersed, was dipped into the dye, and there was a change. It was changed. And and, and again, here th- this is this was uh, taken from a recipe. Can you believe that a recipe from 200 BC? And it, and it would read. First, the vegetable should be dipped, babto, into boiling water, and then baptized, baptizo, in a vinegar solution. You see the difference? Dipped, and really no change. Baptizoed, it came out changed. Do you see what I'm saying? You can change a cucumber into a pickle, but can you turn a pickle back into a cucumber? No. It's irrevocable. You see where we're going. Baptized. By the Spirit. Changed. Irrevocable. We cannot go back. You get that? See, this is what I believe. And here I'm going to say that this is where the Lord has me and my understanding today. It's okay. And and you're going to hear me say this from time to time. This is where I'm at today. I believe that when Paul is saying that we were baptized in Christ, he is saying that we were immersed in Christ. That we were placed in Him. This irrevocable change took place and we cannot go back to once we, what we once were. That we are now under the rule and reign of grace of Christ. And there's a, a passage in 1 Corinthians 10. Let's go there, Chase. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 and 2. This, gives, this is Paul, and he's given an illustration, I think, that will help us with, with Romans 6. Moreover, brethren... I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. What's it talking about? The Red Sea. Going through on dry ground. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now, is this talking water baptism? No. No. No, I don't believe it is. In a very real sense, the only ones who were baptized at the Red Sea was who? The Egyptian Egyptian soldiers. And they drowned. You see, before this great event of the parting of the sea, the Israelites were under bondage, were they not? They were under the rule and reign of Pharaoh. But after the crossing, they were under Moses' leadership and were joined to Moses for the duration of their desert wandering. They were linked to Moses. They had left Egypt. They couldn't go back. Some of them wanted to, but they couldn't. Couldn't go back. 
And, and Paul also says this. Let's go a little bit farther in 1 Corinthians, going to the 12th chapter, verses 12 through 13. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are all one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. Immersed in Christ. Who baptizes us into one Spirit? Christ. Christ. Well, let's go back to Jesus' baptism. John 1, verses 32 through 34. 32 through 34. And John, this, obviously this is John the Baptist, bore witness saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and He remained upon Him. The Spirit remained upon Him, Christ. I did not know Him, but He who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on Him, this is He who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. We are first made spiritually alive. And then in obedience to what the Word of God tells us, an ordinance I believe that every church should have, baptism, immersion, follows. Not the other way around. Not baptized. And it's not even immersion, sprinkling or pouring. How do you get the how do you get the symbol of the death, the burial, and the resurrection out of that? But to them, it's not a symbol, it's not a picture, it's the actual justification. See that there there's there are scriptures that follow the pattern, first justification, then water baptism. Philip and the eunuch. Has it been a while since you've read it? Can we read it? Let, let's just read. Let's just read. Let's, we're going to go to Acts, the 8th chapter, 26 through 40. We'll read this one. I got another long one. I don't know if we'll read it. We'll see when we get to it. Now the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying... Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he rose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot he was reading Isaiah the prophet. And what was he reading? Isaiah 53. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. You get the picture of this? It, it, I, I love that we can follow the picture of the story. I, I can just, in my mind, I can see this playing. Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I? Unless someone guides me. And, and he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. 
The place in the Scripture where he read was this. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. <laughs> and as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation or his life is taken from the earth? And we know who that's talking about, don't we? It's talking of Christ. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth. And it's a great story. And what did he do? He shared the gospel. And Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this, Scripture preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, see, they're going down the road and he's preaching Jesus. A miracle took place, didn't it? It seems a miracle of salvation took place with the union. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. Apparently, Philip had shared the gospel and talked about repent and be baptized, perhaps. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. What comes first? Believing or baptism? Believing. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. What's, what's that implying? This is going to be immersion. They're in the desert. What are they going to have with them? as they travel, water. See where I'm going? Peter could have just some water out of his pouch, but he didn't. He went down into the water and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord, listen to this, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. Now, did Philip just vanish? Well, here's what I can say. The eunuch couldn't see him. There's a difference. Okay, Don't take it further than it needs to go. He just couldn't see him. Did he vanish? Could have. The power of God. The Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found in Azotus and passing through he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. There's another passage. I'm going to let you read this on your own. Go, go. don't do it right now. Do it, do it later. Just mark Acts chapter 10. You can read this yourself. This is where... Uh, Peter opened his mouth in Acts 10. And this is a glorious passage. He preached the gospel. And it, and it says, as you read it, it says the Spirit fell. And, well, we want that. We want the Spirit of God to fall upon us. It said the Spirit fell upon them 
And many people were saved. And then this is what it said. Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. Is this referring to water baptism? Yes, it is. What came first? They had received the Holy Spirit. They had been first immersed in Christ and had believed. Do you see? You can, you can look these up. We have the, the example of the Philippian jailer who believed and was then baptized and his family believed and family were baptized as well. First faith, then baptism. I believe the New Testament clearly shows that far from giving life and union with Christ, baptism is rather meant to be something that seals a preceding happening, saving faith and justification. It is our identifying. It's it's as a, a seal. It is a witness of an accomplished fact. It is that order and not the other way around. First, united with Christ. We are in Christ. We were in Adam, but now by grace through faith, we're in Christ, a union, a spiritual union. And let me just close by just asking this question. Have you been united with Christ? That you know, you know, you know that you are in Christ. Not that you've been told that you are in Christ but rather that you know yourself by the Spirit of God that is in you that you are in Christ, that you have truly believed unto salvation. Romans 10, verses 9-13. through Let's read it again. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Let me pause. Saved from what? Saved from the wrath of God that will someday fall upon all unbelievers. That's what you'll be saved from. Saved from wrath. Paul talked about that previously in Romans, hadn't he? You will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord over, is rich to all who call upon Him. And verse 13, I didn't put on there, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I just pray, Father, that in my stumbling and bumbling up here, Lord, that that's Truth has gone out. And and Lord, I know, I know when I'm reading Scripture, I know I'm on very solid ground. And when I get off on talking about other things, I I know I'm in a dangerous place. And so, Father, if I said anything today that was not helpful or beneficial, I pray that You, by Your great power, could just strike it from memory. But this I know, Lord, help us all to know, to know 
if we are truly in Christ. Everyone that's here, everyone who may listen to this sermon, help them to examine themselves as to whether they are yet of Adam or are they in Christ. So Father, I pray for those who are yet in Adam, who are still lost, dead in their trespasses and sins, yet in darkness, in our darkness. I pray, Father, that by by a miracle of regeneration, by a miracle of saving grace, that You would draw them to Yourself. That by Your grace, that You would give them faith, grant them faith, that they might believe, that they might see You for who You truly are that they might at that moment, upon looking at Your holiness, recognize their sin, their depravity, their need for a cleansing, their need for forgiveness. And Father, show them the rescue in Jesus Christ. Show them the cross. Show them the sacrifice of Christ the blood of Christ that can wash away their sins. And Father, grant them faith that they might believe, that they might confess their sin. And by Your great power and by the Spirit that would be in them, have a desire to turn from sin and follow You the remainder of their days. That they continue could continue on and bear the fruit of righteousness, Lord. Father, for, for us who are born again, that, that we know without a shadow of a doubt that we are in Christ, I pray, Father, that You would help us on our journey. Help us as we yet take up the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit to stand firm against the temptations that come our way. Father, help us to not even consider stepping back into any kind of sin. Because, Father, if we do, we understand that You'll not let us stay there. That You will come for us as the shepherd went out for the lost sheep to bring them back. And, Father, we know that the way You bring us back is according to Your will and good pleasure and We may not enjoy it, but once that we would be restored, not that we lost our salvation, but to be restored and forgiven, that we could rejoice in Your great love for us. So Father, help us all to shine the light of Christ to everyone we meet. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.